0: So Abigail read uh, the scripture that introduces us to our third Sunday of Advent. This one, uh, again, like last week, it has a couple different different themes. Different churches recognize. Last week we had said some; it's for for a lot, it's it's preparation, and for some it's faith. Uh, this week, for some it's peace, and for some it's joy. Uh, last week I, I combined. Preparation and faith together and, and then people corrected me afterwards and said I should have said faith oration. So today we're celebrating poi, which is a lot more simple to, to, come, to wrap our minds around. It's a wonderful Hawaiian dish, but we get to celebrate peace. And joy today, church, that what God has done in the Messiah, whatever we, we get to see in Jesus Christ, it, it brings us a peace and a joy for the life that we have on earth. So we're going to be in Exodus again today, and we're going to actually start to see this is playing out in the life of God's people. So again, I, and I don't know if you guys have picked up on it, but what we're doing in reading Exodus and seeing the story of what God is doing forming his people we, it's a lot to think about, but we get to, really, we read it in two ways. We get to see what God did for the life of his people, the Israelites, and how he loved for them and cared for them, and the very real, very physical things they walked through. You know, these, these are real people, real situations. But then, we also get to see, if this is the story of God's people while living in the Old Testament, we get to see this today for for us as as believers and followers of Christ. As this church family, we get to see this story lived out again. And and as Moses was the deliverer for the people in the Old Testament, Jesus has become the the even better, the more perfect, the perfect Moses that has now delivered us. So it's I love I love when you read through the Old Testament because it's a really good story. It's In it, it places, it may be a little bit more difficult to follow, but you get to see all of God's work on display, and then you realize, oh my goodness, God has done this for me and Jesus. So, so keep that in mind as we read this text today, because we're going to see God is starting to do his deliverance work. He's starting to bring the joy. He's starting to bring the peace to his people, and we're going to get some glimpses of what that looks like for us. And and as we read, church, we're going to read the last couple verses of chapter 6 and almost all of chapter 7. The last verse fits more with chapter 8, so we'll pause before we get to that point. But as we read this today, pay attention to two people, okay? Pay attention to Moses and pay attention to Pharaoh. Because as we read this, we're going to see... Moses is different this time. The way that he interacts with God, he it's like he gets it. And in the picture of him getting it, you see what Jesus himself came to do for us. so it's it's going to be really cool to watch Moses. But I also say, watch Pharaoh because the way that Pharaoh lives and the way that Pharaoh responds is a good cautionary tale for us. And in fact, it is in in my my reading of this, Pharaoh really represents what you and I are like without Christ. So for many of us, fail represents the way we used to live, the, the way that life was like before God in Christ. And so I, I encourage you as you read this, be encouraged that this is the, the joy and the peace we have of a life with God, and this is the reality also of what life without God looks like. So... Uh, our, we're going to read uh, chapter 6 beginning in verse 28 all the way down through uh, chapter 7. And, uh, and, and this is kind of our, our main idea where we're going today. Life with God through Christ. This life that, that you and I have when we give our, our lives to Jesus, we put our faith in his name. This life brings freedom, it brings restoration, and it brings worship. That's what we have with, with God in Christ and then the flip side of this, life without God, it's, it's self-reliance. It's a hardened heart, and it's ultimately brokenness. These are the kind of contrasting realities we're going to see as, as we read through this. So this is Exodus chapter 6, beginning in verse 28, and then going, running through chapter 7. On the day when the Lord spoke to Moses in the land of Egypt, the Lord said to Moses, I am the Lord. Tell Pharaoh, king of Egypt, all that I say to you. But Moses said to the Lord, Behold, I am of uncircumcised lips. How will Pharaoh listen to me? And the Lord said to Moses, See, I have made you like God to Pharaoh, and your brother Aaron shall be your prophet. You shall speak all that I command you, and your brother Aaron shall tell Pharaoh to let the people of Israel go out of his land. But I will harden Pharaoh's heart And though I will multiply my signs and wonders in the land of Egypt, Pharaoh will not listen to you. Then I will lay my hand on Egypt and bring my hosts, my people, the children of Israel, out of the land of Egypt by great acts of judgment. And the Egyptians shall know that I am the Lord when I stretch out my hand against Egypt and bring out the people of Israel from among them. Moses and Aaron did so. They did just as the Lord commanded them. You know, Moses was 80 and Aaron was 83 years old when they spoke to Pharaoh. Then the Lord said to Moses and Aaron, when Pharaoh says to you, prove yourselves by working a miracle, then you shall say to Aaron, take your staff and cast it down before Pharaoh that it may become a serpent. And and not to, to just read past this, church, but this is going to become a reality. I, I don't, it's... Crazy to think of something like this happening, but but listen to this. So Moses and Aaron went to Pharaoh and did just as the Lord commanded. Aaron cast down his staff before Pharaoh and his servants, and it became a serpent. Mind-blowing. Then Pharaoh summoned the wise men and the sorcerers, and they, the magicians of Egypt, also did the same by their secret arts. For each man cast down his staff, and they became serpents. But Aaron's staff swallowed up their staffs. Just... The scene that is going on, picture that in your mind. That crazy, absolutely crazy. But Aaron's staff swallowed up their staffs. Still, Pharaoh's heart was hardened, and he would not listen to them as the Lord had said. Then the Lord said to Moses, Pharaoh's heart is hardened. He refuses to let the people go. Go to Pharaoh in the morning as he is going out to the water. Stand on the bank of the Nile to meet him, and take in your hand the staff that turned into a serpent." Yesterday, and you shall say to him, the Lord, the God of the Hebrews sent me to you, saying, let my people go that they may serve me in the wilderness. But so far you have not obeyed. Thus says the Lord, by this you shall know that I am the Lord. Behold, with the staff that is in my hand, I will strike the water that is in the Nile and it shall turn to blood. Again, picture this in your mind. If somebody went down to the new river and turn the entire river to blood. It's, it's, it's mind-blowing to try to wrap your minds around. Again, insane. The, the Nile shall turn into blood. Verse 18. The fish in the Nile shall die, and the Nile will stink. And the Egyptians will grow weary of drinking water from the Nile. And the Lord said to Moses, Say to Aaron, take your staff. And stretch out your hand over the waters of Egypt, over their rivers, their canals, and their ponds, and all their pools of water, so that they may become blood. And there shall be blood throughout all the land of Egypt, even in the vessels of wood and in vessels of stone. So even in their their thermoses, in their water bottles, all of the water in the land. How beautiful. How big of an act of God would this be to us today if we saw all of this happen? All of the water turned to blood. Verse 20, Moses and Aaron did as the Lord commanded. In the sight of Pharaoh, he's watching this happen. In the sight of his servants, he lifted up the staff and struck the water in the Nile. And all the water in the Nile turned to blood. And the fish in the Nile died, and the Nile stank, so that the Egyptians could not drink water from the Nile. There was blood throughout all the land of Egypt. But the magicians of Egypt did the same by their secret arts. So Pharaoh's heart remained hardened, and he would not listen to them as the Lord had said. Pharaoh turned, and he went into his house. Church, I, I have a hard time. If I saw this happen, Pharaoh just is like, it's not that big a deal. Pharaoh turned and he went back into his house and he did not take even this to heart. And all the Egyptians dug along the Nile for water to drink, for they could not drink the water of the Nile. I, I pause and, and add these things in there because sometimes these are these are stories some of you guys may be more familiar with as we move into the plagues and all that's going to take place in Egypt. and And we almost tell it like, it's, it's like a good story, but these things happened, and, and, and it's hard for me to wrap my mind around, okay, if, if I'm hiking and somebody threw a stick onto the ground and it became a snake, that, that would be odd. If a bunch of other people did it and my snake swallowed up other snakes, that, that would be really odd. If somebody turned an entire river into blood, all the water in the land to blood, now that that would get my attention. It's it's not just a good story. This this is the hand of God that is doing mighty big things in the lives of his people. And as we are unpacking this today, uh, we'll, we'll start by watching Moses' reaction to all of this. And, and what is Moses doing? We'll pay attention to Moses first. And we'll see the, the first part of our main point, this picture of what life is. With God through Christ looks like that. It brings freedom, it brings restoration, and it brings worship. So, if you go back and look at verse twenty-eight, you see Moses is kind of repeating himself. He he took a pause from the narrative last week. We saw the uh, the, the genealogies. We talked about. Why that's such a big deal. Um, If you weren't here, go back and listen to it. Because I I get really excited about the Old Testament genealogies. But Moses is referring us now back to, to verse 13 in chapter 6. Where he says, God gave him a charge to go tell Pharaoh, like God gave him, this is what you're going to go tell him so that you are sure you could carry out the work I've done. So Moses, at the end of chapter 6, is pointing us back to that saying, I'm about to tell you what that charge is. And then in chapter 7, he shows us what is this encouragement that God has given to him. It begins in verse 1, and and guys, when we're reading the text, sometimes there's just statements that Maybe in our minds we hear them, and we don't comprehend how, how deep and powerful it is, but chapter seven verse one, God tells Moses, "See, I have made you like God to Pharaoh." Any, any of uh, coincidence that Moses is somebody that God is, is working through just to deliver his people, we see a, a picture. This is the Messiah figure. This is the deliverer that God is making and God because God says I have made you just like me before Pharaoh. Not not only has God equipped Moses to do the work like he's he's just given him special gifts and abilities to do. He has made Moses like God to Pharaoh. <laughs> can you <coughs> excuse me. Can you imagine If God told you, I have made you like me, for for whatever you're about to face, you have been made like God, crazy. I have made you like God to Pharaoh, and your brother Aaron shall be your prophet. God has cleared the way. He himself is preparing Moses to do this work that's coming. And this work again in verse 2, it's to tell Pharaoh, let the people of Israel go out of this land. That they are going to free God's people from their bondage. Verses 3 through 4, we see God gives Moses a little bit more details than he has previously. He says, I am going to harden Pharaoh's heart. He's not going to listen to you. It's not going to be easy. But I am going to perform mighty acts of judgment. And then he goes and does that. I'm going to perform mighty acts of judgment so that everybody will know by my Hand, I will deliver, I will bring my people, the children of Israel, out of the land of Egypt. And in verse 5, God tells them not only am I going to do this so that all you guys understand I'm at work, but all the Egyptians. Everyone is going to know that I am God. In verse 6 and 7, I love this because this is one of the first times you see Moses and Aaron going and living out what God has told them without arguing him about it, without all the list of excuses, without all of the, but God, what about this? But God, what about that? The first time, seven chapters in, we see Moses is going... Yes, I will go. Do this like God. I, I got you. We will go. I will be faithful to you. Just the, the simplicity. Moses and Aaron did so. They did just as the Lord commanded them. And then you see God is faithful. You see God carrying this out. Verses 8 through 10, you see, hey, this, the staff is able to turn into a serpent. God is doing you know, his mighty acts of judgment to show the people, I am, I'm at work to free them. And then you see verses 14 through 20, what many of your Bibles may identify as the first plague that God has brought onto Egypt, the first plague. God is, is, again, doing this mighty act to show the people, yes, I am God, I am in control, and I am redeeming my people. Church, in, in all of this, as we see Moses' faithfulness, we see what God is telling Moses, we, we get a picture of what God desired to do for us through Christ, that he desired to bring us his people, freedom. And I do I do is before we talk a little bit about what this freedom is, I, I want to be very careful because um, we, we can have different ideas about the word freedom when we talk about it. I, I, I usually, when I hear freedom used, it, it's kind of in the context of like a personal freedom, right? Like I want to be able to go do, what I believe I should be able to do. It's, it's, it freedoms are tied to rights, and, and that, that's just usually the context we talk about freedom in, okay? Not a bad context, not saying anything against that, but that's, that's not the context that freedom right here is, is being talked about in Scripture. God tells us in, in verse 16, he tells Moses to tell Pharaoh, the Lord, the God of the Hebrews, sent me to you saying, let my people go, free them so that they may serve me in the wilderness. Right here, the the biblical picture of freedom is is not so much tied to a personal thing, but it is tied to what John very much preached on two weeks ago, a freedom from sin. You have been set free from the, the slavery, from the bondage that sin has on your life because you've been broken apart from God. You have been broken free from that. But that freedom means you have now been brought under the authority and the leadership of our God. It is a freedom from sin. It is a freedom to now live in Christ. John eloquently summarized it for us throughout the New Testament two weeks ago. This is the freedom that God gives us. We do not have to live in the old way anymore. We we have been literally removed from that because of Jesus Christ. So God brings us this freedom in Christ. God also brings us this restoration. I don't know if you guys have picked up on it, but all throughout the book, whenever God is talking about letting his people go, it, there's a physical movement that is taking place. He's, he's physically taking them out of Egypt, and he's bringing them into a new place. And this new place is the wilderness, which doesn't sound that enticing, right? That the, if, if we are going to be taken from a place where you had all your earthly comforts and things in the city and be stuck in the middle of nowhere in the wilderness, that doesn't sound enticing, except what God is doing is He's taking them out of their slavery and He's bringing them into His presence. That when His people are in the wilderness, they will get to really see and experience God to the fullest. So when God is is talking about restoring his people, bringing them back to a right relationship with him, what he does is he physically moves them to be with him. Now, church, again, for us to to give our lives to Jesus, yes, we may not physically have to move houses or locations, but we have been physically brought out of bondage and sin, and we've been physically brought back into the presence of God. Because we have the Holy Spirit dwelling inside of us. So God brings us freedom in Christ, He brings us restoration in Christ, He also brings us worship. This this Hebrew verb in verse 16 that's that is translated serve, it literally means to serve God as your master. That, that when we are following after God in Christ, He literally becomes the one that we give, we give all of ourselves. Uh, to the, the word worship just means to give worth to something, right? To glorify something. To say, I don't, I don't need the meaning, the recognition, all of that for myself. I'm going to give this to something bigger than me. Uh, this is the idea that the Hebrew is giving us, that, that God's people are going to give their praise, their glory, their adoration, their lives. They're going to give them to God. So this life that God is laying out in Moses, is, is a life of freedom. It is a life of restoration. It is a life of worship. And I think it's even more interesting, Moses is 80 years old when this is taking place. Now, that, that, is, that may just seem like a little bit of commentary, but, but guys, the work in Scripture takes place over long periods of time. Sometimes when we read it, we think, oh, this is like a couple days in the making, Moses was a baby at the beginning of this book. It has been 80 years. God's people are still in slavery at this point. 80 years. God has been preparing his people to be delivered. God has been raising up one who will deliver them. 80 years later, they are now starting to just see God's faithfulness at work. But church, that what a... What an encouragement for us that, yes, even though God has taken 80 years to do this work, he's, he's not just going to make a, a quick little change about something. He is literally transforming his people from something into something. And This, this long-term, big-picture, all-encompassing work that God is doing in the lives of the Israelites is the same work that he is doing within us through the Holy Spirit. He's made us for this, this life of freedom that we are, not, we are not bound to sin anymore. And it takes time for us to get used to that, right? Because sin is the way that we used to live. This is what John was talking about. It's, it is a former way of life that we are getting rid of to take on a new nature as our own. We've, we've been freed, we've been restored, and we now get to worship. And, and the encouragement all along is, is partly what Abigail read from Psalm 146, that life with God, this, this life is a life of peace and a life of joy. Just listen to the different things that, that God has promised in this life with him, that we have seen through 80 years of faithfulness up until this point in Exodus, that from Psalm 146, God is our help. God is faithful forever. God upholds the cause of the oppressed. He cares for our needs. He frees the prisoners. He heals brokenness. He lifts up the humbled. He loves the righteous. He watches over the orphaned and the widowed. And this scripture that Abigail read, Jesus Christ himself reads and says, "This I am the fulfillment of this. Jesus proclaims, I have done this now for us. Church, we have seen 80 years of this life and this faithfulness slowly coming into fruition. And now it has burst onto the scene in the man of Moses for the Israelites. And we get to celebrate that this life and this body of faithfulness has been made available to you and to me through Jesus Christ that we get to celebrate every year in Christmas. So, what this, what this means for us is if this is the reality of what life with Christ is like, church, for us at New River, it means we need to be honest with our present in light of our reality in Christ. You know, it, it has been 80 years in the making. His people, God's people, have still been in bondage this entire time. The, being joyful does not necessarily mean being happy. On earth, that the the joy we have in Christ is not necessarily tied to just happiness, the the feeling of, okay, things are just good in in our circumstances on earth, nor does having peace in Christ mean we won't be living in tension on earth. I mean, if, if you look through church history, you see very, very rarely does the church have a really, really good working relationship with the culture and with the government around it. The church is consistently persecuted throughout much of history. And and in some moments, at its most earthly peaceful, it's not at its spiritually healthiest. That, That just because we have peace in Christ, it's not necessarily tied to there's no tension on earth. But it is okay for us to To be honest with where we are at, this is what we see the Israelites doing. They have been crying out to God. And what we see back in chapter 2, God heard and God saw. That when we are honest with him about where we are at and what we are going through, he does come and he does meet us where we are. And this joy that he's given is something we have in the Holy Spirit. It, It is available now, and it carries with us through whatever our circumstances look like. I think what it also means for us is that whatever we seek to do, both inside of this church family, but also just the way we ought to live as Christians all of our lives is worship. That if this this life God has given us is a, a, a life of freedom, we've been freed from sin, a life of restoration, we've been made right with God, what we do with this is we worship. God delivered his people so that they could worship him. They could live in his presence. Church, that that is my prayer, that That what we do as a church, but more than just what we do as a church, what you guys get to do as individuals, I, I pray that you would get to live life with God daily, that, that you would get to worship him in whatever you are choosing to get to do. I mean, it... It changes the way that you think about, I don't just, I have my work life, and then I have my church life, and then I have my social life. Now, all, of, all of what you do gets to be part of your, your God life, essentially. Because when we live with God through Christ, we live all of our lives in this freedom, this restoration, and this worship. So now if you go back and you read through the chapter again, see through it the perspective of Pharaoh. What is what is this life without God look like? And it's important for us to to recognize this in this season too, church. Because for, for many of us, if we have a relationship with Jesus, this is the way that we used to live. We never want to see that again, right? John talked about uh, the verses in Colossians where Paul's saying we have put that nature to death. So this this is what we are moving away. From the, the, the life that Pharaoh reveals, the life without God, it's, it's self-reliance, it's hard-heartedness, it's brokenness. Uh, look at verses 11 and 12 in chapter 7. It's, you see this pattern in Pharaoh's life where he hears Moses and Aaron's request, you know, let my people go. He sees them perform a miracle, and his first thought is, let me see if I can get somebody to go do the same thing. So Pharaoh Pharaoh gets all of his wise men, all his sorcerers, all his magicians, and by God's will, God's grace, they're able to do the same thing Moses and Aaron did. So they make their staffs also become snakes, and as a result, in verse 13, you see Pharaoh's heart was hardened, and he wouldn't listen to them. You see the exact same pattern in the, the next section, verses 14 through 22, you see Pharaoh's literally going down to the Nile. Now, in, in the, the context here, church, going down to the Nile, Pharaoh's probably going down to take a bath, okay? He's, he's going down to bathe, to spend some time in the Nile, and as he's getting in, Moses is turning the water to blood. Just, I don't know, I, I have never bathed in blood. I've never, ever thought about it, never intended to do it, because it just, it just sounds disgusting, right? The, how raw an imagery would that be for Pharaoh to see this happen? And yet, you get down to verse 22, 21, and he's able to make the same thing happen through his magicians. And so therefore, it doesn't, it doesn't mean anything to him. I, I still am wrapping my mind around verse 23. He turned and went into his house. It wasn't a big deal. How is that not a big deal? And and church I I realize that this pattern it it actually it does make sense to us. Not if we're in Christ, but when we are without God. Because what you see is life without God first begins with with like a a self-reliance mindset. That that I I am kind of the authority in my own little kingdom right here. And, and this, is, this is not something new. We saw this in chapter 5, verse 2, the very first time Moses and Aaron went to Pharaoh and they told him to let the people go. Pharaoh's response, Who is this Lord that I should obey his voice and let Israel go? I don't know the Lord. Moreover, I will not let Israel go. Pharaoh's heart this entire time has been, Who's, who's this God? I don't know who this God is. I I I run my life. Who's this God that you keep talking about? I'm not, no, I'm not gonna let the people go. And so because, because Pharaoh has that mindset of who's who is this God? This this self-reliant, he says, I should be able to do whatever these guys can do. You see in the chapter, Pharaoh, when he sees these miracles, his response, it means nothing to him. He gets his buddies to go do the exact same thing. By God's grace, God allows these magicians to perform the same things. And and because of that, it it hardens his heart. That because he feels like he's able to do what God can do, he doesn't need God. And his heart begins to harden against God. Literally against God. And, and, and church, when we live this way, it, it is so dangerous for us to be self-reliant because as uh, there, are, there are some very strong people that are capable of doing a lot of things. But at some point, we, we will get to the point of we cannot make ourselves right with God. That is, it is written all throughout the New Testament, all throughout the Old Testament. The, the picture that I was thinking about when, when trying to process what does it mean that we cannot make ourselves right with god i'm going to i'll call your attention to it because i hadn't really thought about this but if you read believe it's the towards the end of genesis 3 right when god is sending adam and eve out of the garden he literally kicks them out because they've disobeyed him do do you remember what god does right after he sends them out he literally sticks an angel and a flaming sword To guard the way, the text says, to guard the way to the tree of life. That a permanent barrier has been established that Adam and Eve will never be able to get back into God's presence, back into the garden on their own. Church, it's a physical picture of this, this spiritual reality that we have. We cannot make ourselves right. With God on our own, which is why it is so dangerous that wherever we are self-reliant and our hearts become hard, we ultimately end up the same place Pharaoh does, which is in brokenness. Because at no point has Pharaoh ever relented that every time Pharaoh encounters God and he believes he can do the same thing, he never turns to God, and we even get pictures that Pharaoh's own brokenness is now affecting the people around him, because as Pharaoh doesn't turn, the people of Israel are still in slavery, right? So because Pharaoh is not right with God, he's enslaved an entire nation of people. But also, you see in this chapter, now all the water in Egypt is blood. Pharaoh's own people are now suffering because of Pharaoh's hard heart. The the brokenness that we have, it does not just stay within us. It affects all of the people around us. It affects our ability to relate to one another. It affects the way we view one another, the way we treat one another. This is the reality of our life apart from Christ. And and church, this is why I I realize just in conversations with some people, when you, this is the narrative that our world is, is desperately grasping for. And I realize as a pastor that you, you may not have really explicitly heard me talk about things like salvation, justification, like the, like the act of coming to know Jesus in, in heaven and hell and some of those pieces. And, and I, I just want to assure you it has nothing to do with whether I believe it or not. I've, I hope in my preaching you, you hear all of that to be true, but our faith is not just this exercise in morality. You are literally seeing... Two different lives, two different hearts on display in Moses and in Pharaoh. That, that our faith is more than a, an exercise in morality or subscribing to certain beliefs to achieve a desired result, salvation. It is a fundamental transformation in who we are. From, from a way that has been broken apart from God because of our disobedience and sin to now <laughs> As we've been seeing the past couple of weeks, we are taking on a new nature. It's not just like some things are changing. We are not the same people anymore when the Holy Spirit enters into us, when we have given our lives to Christ. And, and this, this is the same reality that the angels were proclaiming in the New Testament reading that Abigail gave. The Messiah had come, God was delivering his people not just to free them from something but to literally change their nature to bring them back into a right place a right standing a right relationship with him and, and church we've tried to to kind of hold this in our in our foundation series and our vision casting i mean if you guys have Listened well, and and most of you have from my conversations. You haven't heard a lot of very specific details about, like, what are we going to be doing differently as we've talked about the mission, the vision, the values. But you've heard a lot about life transformation, about just a different way of, of living and being because we are no longer dead in sin. We are now right with God. Our mission statement, a community on mission Submitted to Christ and committed to disciple making. It's honestly not that specific detail, but it encapsulates what we see in Scripture and what we've seen in Moses. Our vision statement, we want to be loving as Christ, learning from Christ, living in Christ. That's more than just a a couple tweaks here and there and whether we do a group or not on something. That, That is a total different way of life than we are used to from a life of sin. Instead of identifying things we do, we we adopted a set of values that we share with you guys. We said we want to value certain things that are going to change the way we live, not just what we do, but all of who we are has to change. So we said we value Christ as our life, reconciliation to God and others, sharing and experiencing God, transformational unity in Christ, the image of God in ourselves and others, and the power of prayer. So we've, we've been doing a lot of this big picture stuff, church, because as we read this story, we realize it is a big picture work that our God is doing. And, and I don't, I don't want to just boil it down into something for you guys without missing this. This is a wonderful work that God is doing. But it is a work that does carry with it very practical changes, and so I did want to share with you guys this morning at the uh, encouragement of, of members of our leadership team, what are we currently actively doing right now in preparation for the future, and, and again, trying to hold to, to what we are seeing in the, the life of, of a disciple of, of freedom, of restoration, of worship. Um, your, your leadership team and I are actually taking some time over the next couple of weeks uh, we are working through a, uh, it's, it's called the Great Annual Examine. It was, it's, it's a modern adaptation of, some, uh, of a guy, a, a church history, uh, not church history, one of the early church fathers kind of developed this and walked through this. Um, now, I, I didn't tell the leadership team to this, but he, he did this every single day. Uh, so if, if we think it's long for us to take a couple weeks to do it, he walked through this every single day. But it is a, it's a time of preparing and evaluating where is our spiritual health, emotional, physical, vocational, and relational health. So just where are we at? What, is, what are we doing? What have we gone through? And then we're also working through a, another tool which, which helps us look at personal discipleship. Where am I being poured into as a disciple? Where am I pouring out into other people as the disciples? Because if, if we see this story and we see ourselves in this, we realize God is doing this work within us first and foremost. And as he does that work, it's going to change the way that we live. And if we can be in a right place before God, we will certainly be able to make wise decisions and good, uh, good choices, good choices strategic maneuvers if you will about where we're we going as a church family and and I share with you guys at the business meeting we do have a lot of ideas for things that are going to start to come out over the next couple months that we will be sharing with you guys and I I don't I don't want to get ahead of myself in telling you that piece because we we are still seeing in this text God is there's like two different works that are going on this inner transformation work is going to lend itself to the external fruit bearing. And, and as a pastor, guys, I, I wholeheartedly believe if, if I ever get more focused on the fruit bearing than on this internal part, then, then I'm, I'm not going to lead y'all well. Because we get it's much easier for us to focus on the fruit bearing than it is on the, the internal piece. And I trust the work of the Holy Spirit, man, when we are right with God. He, he's not going to lead us to miss anything. Because we see from from Moses and from Aaron, God has been doing 80 years and he's still about to work. But he is doing a big picture work within us. And, and we and, and being faithful to allow God to work, church, that is where God's blessing comes to us. So how we can respond from this is the band comes back up to, to lead us in one final song uh, before we get to enjoy. Some wonderful, wonderfully prepared food together. Uh, I want to give you guys two questions to just reflect on this week, and then a specific prayer to help us with. But the first question, simply being, what is, where do we see the the fruit of faithfulness in our lives? If if living with God through Christ means we are living in freedom and restoration and worship, just just be able to look at your. Look at your past week and say, where did I see that? You know, where where did I see that um, you know I may have been reminded, oh God, I, you've you've set me free from this. I, I don't have to worry about this thing anymore. Or God, you've you've restored me. I, I realize I used to get really irritated at this and I don't anymore because I realize you you you've freed me from this. Where where have we seen the fruit of faithfulness? The second question, what Areas of your life are still marked by uh, some of these former ways of life before Christ. You know, where do I see uh, some self-reliant tendencies? Where do I see, you know, some maybe, where's my heart still kind of hard on a few things? Where do I see this brokenness? And guys, I want to encourage you just to pray simply, thank God for this new life we have in Christ. I mean, we get to celebrate all this peace and this joy in the season because we have this new life with Christ. And I would encourage you guys also specifically just pray for us as a church that as we are kind of pausing and preparing um, that we will get to clearly see where is God leading us to invest in our local community, in our state, in our world. He, he does desire us to be active and, and we see that as a result of this work that God is doing Within us, God, we are grateful for your word and for how you, you lead us and you encourage us. God, we are, we are humbled that you would desire to work through us to reach your creation. Lord, in the reality this morning we see of a life with you and a life without you, we are grateful for the peace we have with you and your son, the joy that we have that we do not have to live this old way anymore. God, may we be patient and faithful to allow your spirit to continue to work, to, to root out the old life within us, Father, to, to that we may be putting it off and putting on the new life in your son, Father. May we be submitted before you that your nature and your son may become our lives every day. It is in your holy name we pray all of this, Father, and we are grateful for this time of fellowship and food we get to have next.